Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. Boosting physician engagement, three strategies that you can start now. And this morning, I am privileged to be your facilitator. Um, I've had 25 years of healthcare experience as a non-clinician, but more sitting on the bedside of patients and better understanding how they interpret their care, as well as how clinicians interact with each other and engage with the patient. And I'm privileged this morning to be with our head of our physician coaching staff, and that is Dr. George Mazel. He is a national expert in physician alignment engagement. He is a formal faculty of the Graduate Medical Education Program. More than that, he's a wealth of information. He's written a book. He goes on site and coaches. He's a past chief medical officer, and he gets it. He's been there in the trenches, so he understands what's going on in healthcare today. He understands what physicians are experiencing, and he's helped many organizations with things that they just need extra skill sets with. And so I'm excited to have you aboard. And we wanted to understand what your greatest challenges were and also your sources of pride. And so you start to see a theme. Um, All of us who are, you know, that right brain are going right to that greatest challenge. Burnout. I noticed that burnout's mentioned several times, buy-in and burnout. And that all contributes to engagement as we know what uh, the current state of healthcare is right now. And so were there any surprises, uh, George, when you saw the feedback from some of our chief medical officers? Uh, not at all. The only thing I was a little surprised that um, people didn't discuss, you know, some of the workflow issues and some of the challenges with all the administrative stuff that's really taking up a lot of Doc's time and and obviously contributing dramatically to burnout and obviously um, lack of engagement. So that was the only thing that wasn't there, but I think perhaps it was implied. Yeah. And so maybe it's getting to the core of what's, what that burnout stems from. Um, sometimes it's a general category that we tend to lump a lot of things under and haven't really gotten to a deep dive to diagnose it. Um, you had lots of sources of pride, but so in essence of time, we're going to look at some of your greatest challenges and customize this time together so that you can walk away with some strategies and some uh, gain some further insight based on the collective wisdom from uh, George and, and the the team that he supervises in going on site to help other physicians. So when we look at primary factors that influence physician engagement, we see that you as a chief medical officer, 79% have burnout as a challenge. So we know this is a national uh, issue. It's based on uh, PRC, uh, 94,000 physicians uh, have, have contributed to this data. So fewer than 10% of fully engaged physicians will experience burnout, and yet 70% of unengaged physicians do experience burnout. So we know how important engagement is, right? Having having both feet in the job, not not always um, being unengaged and apathetic to the work that you're doing. And so just so you know, you're not alone. There is um, This is research based across the country. So what you're experiencing is not unfamiliar. Um, George, have you seen an upswing in unengagement since the, the pandemic that we've been through over the last three years, or has this been ongoing for a while? 
Well, I think we have to look backwards a little bit. And, and burnout was a huge issue pre-pandemic. Um, there's no getting around that. There were lots of the same things in place even then that were, people were really struggling with engagement and burnout. But since the in- pandemic, or uh, assuming it's over, let's let's use that. Uh, at least we're entering the other side of it. Um, you know, we're certainly seeing more because obviously it was all hands on deck. Everybody was doing trying to do the right thing during the pandemic. And now we're sort of returning a little bit to normal. And I think what we're seeing is all the side effects of the pandemic, plus all the other things that were there pre-pandemic. And then on top of that, all those administrative things that are making people crazy. Um, also, we're seeing a shift in ownership of physicians and, you know, hospitals are struggling. Um, they're now being owned by by payers. They're now being owned by private equity. So all those things are contributing to burnout. And when I when I think about burnout and engagement, I see them as sort of a little bit opposite sides of the same scale. Um, if you're engaged, the burnout goes way down. If you're burned out, the engagement goes way down. So um, even though they're not directly linked, they're very indirectly linked with a lot of the same factors contributing inversely to each other. Yeah, so true. And so you look, we just share this key drivers just because we work closely with PRC and and we look at what uh, contributes to physician loyalty. And like George was talking about, it's it's that relationship and, con- and concern and complaints and responsiveness to physicians. Um, safety issues continue to be important. And so I think during the pandemic, we saw organizations, some of them who already had good communication, got very cohesive and tight with their teams and then afterwards, when we saw started to see gaps is when we started to see um, some of those real key issues come to light. Um, maybe they were hidden during the pandemic because we were all hands on deck and we were all, you know, very myopic in our focus, correct? Absolutely. Um, everybody was just trying to do the right thing to survive. Um, and again, as you remember, in the early in the pandemic, people were cheering healthcare workers, people yeah. were supportive. Right. Um, obviously, unfortunately, a lot of that fell off as as we sort of um, the fatigue set in, I think, to everybody. Well, since burnout's real and Dr. Maisel has written a book about burnout and is an expert in burnout, we're going to start talking about that right off the bat, because that's what you said were one of your common themes is that you're experiencing with your own physicians is that um, organizations are experiencing um, burnout. So, I'm going to hand some expertise over to George. And what he's talking about is that it didn't just start be- it, right at COVID. It it had been there all along. It just it just pushed it forward a little bit more. Um, how how did people define define burnout, George? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is it's defined a little bit differently by by different people, and there's no real set guidelines for determining it. And, and I think that the my conclusion is burnout is on a continuum. It's not a you have it, you don't have it. It's it's It fluctuates day to day a little bit, but also um, it's something that's it's not an all or none. So when we look at burnout, we look at three things, emotional exhaustion, just, and this is not just sleepy, tired. This is just that, that exhaustion where you just don't want to do anything day after day. Um, low personal accomplishment, just meaning you don't feel like you can fix it. You just don't feel like there's anything you can do that will make a difference. And lastly, that depersonalization. Um, they're not people anymore. They're, they're not patients anymore. They're the gallbladder in 309 or the heart attack in 402 or whatever. Um, that feeling that there's just a disconnect from the people you're serving. So some, all three of those need to be present for burnout. 
but the, but actually what defines them is a little bit tricky. So I think it's a continuum. And what we're seeing now, the recent surveys say 60% of docs have at least one symptom um, that I mentioned of burnout now. So um, that is up. Again, different surveys, up, down, up, down. But I think the general trend is in the wrong direction, unfortunately. So is it is it like a, a bank account where it's a cumulative thing, where it all of a sudden just adds up to a tipping point? Um, I think it's, it is it is cumulative, but I don't know that there's a tipping point because I think it just... I think it's all on a continuum. I don't think there's one, you know, you know, I don't think you go one more step and you're burned out. I think it's, it's, you're more burned out, you're less burned out, you're not burned out. I think it's all on that continuum. And again, before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge something really important. Um, We're going to use the term burnout because everybody uses it, but it is absolutely the wrong term. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, physicians and healthcare workers, they're resilient by definition. You didn't get through medical school um, without being resilient. So, you know, the fact that you're burned out, which suggests a a personal failing is really not very accurate. Um, This is a systems issue. Um, This in generally really can't be fixed, at least totally on the individual uh, basis. It has to be fixed at the system level, the hospital level, the group level, and to some extent, eventually on the societal level. Um, So, you know, we've seen the term uh, moral injury. We've seen dissolution in it. We've seen compassion fatigue. Um, all probably better terms than burnout, but none is perfect. But just, you know, no, we're using the term burnout because it's 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 standard, but it's really not a fair term when you're talking about healthcare workers. So if you are uh, a chief medical officer right now in a healthcare organization and you have some concerns about some of your physicians, are you looking out then for some of those things that we just defined with that emotional exhaustion are you, are you paying attention to conversations that have changed or attitudes that have changed? Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, you, it, most important is being aware of it. Mm-hmm. And the second piece is measuring it, actively measuring it, because you, you're not going to change anything. And you can measure burnout and you can measure engagement. They're kind of different things. And probably early on, I would probably measure both. Um, as you move on, hopefully you can measure engagement, wellness, some of the positive things and not just the negative things. But in Actually, you probably need to measure both. Um, And and then the the second thing is you need to start listening to figure out what's going on and and the why. Um, As I mentioned early on, the solutions for burnout are about 25% at the individual level and 75% at the the broader uh, system or societal level. Um, So when you start trying to figure out what you can actually do about it, if you don't acknowledge it and you don't measure it and you don't start listening and asking questions to figure out what the hot buttons are, um, you can't you can't solve what you don't understand. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that. And so we wanted to talk about what your key issues were, and we also wanted to give you some three strategies to walk away with today on what what we think are starting points for physician engagement. And so one of them um, we defined as being uh, make sure that the values are aligned. So a, a right culture with teamwork and collaboration is important. And, and and maybe you could elaborate on that, George. Talk to us about what values um, and, and how do you align them with your physicians? Yeah, this is the most important, but also the trickiest, um, because it's not something you can really fix overnight. And it's something that probably took a long time to create. And when we say values, we're really talking about the culture of the organization. Um, so in an organization, the organizations that have a you know, really good burnout numbers, in other words, not having burnout, are the ones where the physicians 
are aligned with the administrative, aligned with the culture. In other words, and usually that means that patient care, patient quality, and and patient outcomes are are a focus of everybody. And financial focus, which we all know is there, is is secondary to all of that. It's where physicians are generally in a leadership role so they can contribute. And it's really where the, the folks in the trenches, the docs, the other medical staff, the clinical staff, the nursing staff, really feel like everybody's rowing in the same direction, knowing that some of the goals are going to be different in administration, but not feeling like the administration is, is in a whole different place. And of course, the obvious example is administrations that are very profit-focused versus outcomes-focused. Um, if you have that misalignment, that doesn't work. So if folks feel like that culture, those values are the same, um, it makes up for an awful lot of other things that don't work. Um, and, and into that has to be, you know, active listening and engagement where, where folks feel heard and autonomy. And we'll talk about some of those things later. But but the main thing is, and if, if that's values and culture isn't aligned, um, the rest of the stuff is really hard to do. Um, even even the comp models fit into that that culture because again, if the comp model supports um, not just more faster, quicker, but but better, um, those all fit into that. So the the you know it feels a little ethereal when you talk about values and culture, but but if you don't have that, you really can't get to the rest of the stuff. And and you're finding too with the younger physicians, they're they're really looking even more so to whether or not some of those values are being modeled versus just said at a meeting or put into a document, correct? Yeah, the, the young docs are in a really tough spot because they're coming into a world where they're generally going to be employed, where most of us did start that way. They're coming in a world where, where that employment can be tricky. I mentioned that the different owners now, it's not just docs working for themselves in large groups. It's working for hospitals and, and the payer community and private equity. So there can be a misalignment between your employer and yourself, depending on on that cultural fit. And the young guys sometimes get caught in a position because the if they're in a bigger practice, sometimes the older guys in the practice, uh, the guys with gray hair like me, um, sometimes want something different. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be a little tricky. And those young guys can get really caught in the crossfire. Um, in fact, if we had a lot more time, we could tell a lot of war stories. Sure. All right. And so now we talk to the second strategy and soliciting input and active listening to build that trust and relationship. Um, what are you seeing when you go inside? And I, I know we talk a lot of times about leadership rounding with physicians, and we started to name it relationship rounding so that people don't approach it like another task or checklist, but it's actually the old fashioned way of eye contact and one on one conversations. Yeah. I think. Um... There's a backstory here that's really important, and that is, you know, having been in, in organizations, chief medical officer and other roles, um, the first thing you have to do is recognize how important it is to get out and talk to your peers and the other healthcare workers. And to do that, you're going to have to say no to meetings and things. So, so the first thing I say is figure out what meetings you don't have to be at and don't go. Take that time. And then go out and and listen. You know, they used to have the lean term Gemba, whatever you want to call it. But get out there and talk to folks. But it, it's more than just talking to folks because you got to listen and you got to be honest with them. If it's something that can't be fixed, you got to be honest. They want to know the truth. This I can't change this. On the other hand, if you start hearing some things that probably could be changed, you have to be in a position where you can change them. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything to go out and talk to folks. 
if all they hear, if, if they see you as just a quote suit and you're just walking around and all you're doing is sort of patting people on the back and giving them a speech, um, that's not going to help. You've got to, you've really got to, usually I used to bring somebody with me and we'd keep a, an Excel spreadsheet of the issues and you got to make sure not only do you solve them, but you get back to the people that brought them to you and let them know where they are so that they felt like, you know, you heard them, you're listening and you're actively doing something. And that's what I would call executive rounding, where you're really listening and making a difference. On top of that, I would also encourage um, to develop your own kind of kitchen cabinet is what I used to call it, which is a group of influential docs. And the important thing is these aren't the docs that you necessarily like. These aren't necessarily the docs you necessarily want to hang with. These aren't your pals. These are the folks that are most influential. And sometimes these are the docs that are the loudest and not necessarily your advocates. And those are the folks you want because you want to hear from them. It's a way of two-way communication. And you meet with them for breakfast once a month or once a quarter and figure out what's going on so you don't get surprised by, by what's going on in the community. And again, that same situation about being honest with feedback. And, and again, hospitals, they all think they do a good job sharing information back to docs, but most of them do a terrible job. And some of it's about sharing docs and, and information back to docs in a way they can understand. And I would put at the top of that list or near the top, financial information. Docs all think hospitals are cash cows making a bloody fortune and, you know, executives are riding around in, in Learjets. Um, sometimes that's true, but often it's not. And so, you know, sharing, you know, what's going on at the hospital, financial in a, in a believable, honest way, capital stuff, changes that are coming, departments are going to be open and closed and things. Um, you know, nobody likes surprises. So that two-way communication and that creating change from that um, that place of, of work is is really critical piece. And we've all seen uh, attempts and and good intentions of going around and trying to do that relationship building that turn into um, broken promises and town hall meetings that don't have follow through. And sometimes that can even do more damage. Yeah, if they see you as disingenuous, they'll stop sharing stuff with you. Um, they need to feel like you're on their side, but you got to be honest. You know, if you if there's something you can't fix. You got to say, I can't fix this. It's not, it's just not possible. Yeah. Under promise over deliver is better than the opposite, right? Absolutely. And then our third one was invest in leadership development. So clinical leaders will be able to balance the economics and clinical outcomes. Why is that important? You know, it, it's always been interesting. Um, every time I see administrations try to manage professional people, they often struggle. And so, you know, getting physicians involved in leadership in an influential way is critical. But the other piece of this that's really important is that physicians inherently aren't taught leadership. Mm. Now, I know there's some innate docs that are great leaders, just like innate business folks that are great leaders, but you can be taught leadership. If you're good, you can get better. If you're not good, you can get good or get better. And so it's something that can be taught. And we do a, we do that a lot, both on um, traditional kind of and also on, on separate coaching and um, teaching leadership because it's different. As you know, we always kid around about administrators thinking differently than, than clinicians, and, and it's true. We're trained differently. We think differently. But if you can at least understand the how and the why and be able to have a conversation um, that makes sense to both sides at that level in a leadership role and have the influence to create changes, 
um, that's where some of these things can really make a difference. You know, those things you pick up on rounding um, that you need to be able to change, you have to be able to do it. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out, you know, the EMR, which is always a big source of issues. So um, all those things need that clinician, physician leadership. And again, it's something that you really have to be taught and coached. It, it's something that, um, and we, as you know, Brooke, we've had a lot of experience um, meeting with docs and meeting with groups of docs. And we've seen huge differences in the ability to relate um, once they understand, you know, kind of how leaders act and and enough of the business side that they can communicate effectively with folks that think differently. Well, and by the time you become a CMO, you are a sounding board for a lot of variety of personalities that are going to come to you with all kinds of comments back to you and feedback and not all of it positive. So you have to have those skill sets already in place with the emotional intelligence to not take it personal and be able to communicate in an effective way, correct? Yeah, you're truly monkey in the middle if you're doing a good job at uh, as a CMO because you have to be able to um, have honest, open, great, receptive dialogue with the clinicians and physicians, and then you have to be able to translate that to the boardroom and vice versa. Um, and again, often you're nobody's friend uh, in the process, um, but it, it, you can really get an a, amazing amount of things done. And again, I, I, as we as we evolve in some of the new payment models and new models of healthcare, what they call value based healthcare or population health, whatever. I mean, and I'm I'm very biased here, so I'll say that ahead. But but who can really make that balancing point between cost, quality, and outcomes? Um, besides someone who understands the quality and and the cl- and the clinical side. Um, again, you don't. None of us have ever loved calling one eight hundred Hartford, Connecticut, to get a mother may I for a CT scan. Um, but again, as we move into the leadership roles, and, and hopefully clinicians, physicians fill those roles. Hopefully, we can make the right decision, balancing all those crazy things that go into um, great patient care, but also being good stewards of, of a of a an economic um, challenge, challenging environment. Yeah, and understanding how decisions are made and and capital budgets are formed and all of that um, helps them navigate that better. So um, one of the things you do as a coach leader is you go into organizations and align with them and helping them in various ways. Um, Why don't you share with us kind of your role when you go into an organization? I know you've been a a large part of physician development and leadership um, skill sets and and coaching. So just give us an example of why an organization invites you in to help them. Well, you know, unfortunately, you you never get invited into an organization where everything's going well because it was going well. Um, and, And often they they say it's going well, but when you kick the tires, you find out they're really usually issues. And a lot of time, at least in the the context we're talking about today, uh, of physician engagement, there's a real disconnect between the physicians and the administrative staff. Um, And a lot of it's about listening. A lot of it's about communication. So the first thing you have to do is listen. You have to figure out what's going on. You have to figure out what things you can solve systemically versus what things require individual discussions with some of the physician leaders and other folks. And so it's, it's really about, you know, doing that analysis and figure out what's not working. Um, There's some general things like communication, active listening, understanding, you mentioned emotional intelligence, understanding what that is. Because again, 
remember, docs don't get any of this in medical school. You right. know, we're taught the Krebs cycle. We're taught physiology. Um, I think they're doing a better job now in 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 medical school, but there's still there's just not enough time. And also, some of it there's an assumption that people are are automatically good at communicating and good at understanding themselves and emotional intelligence. Um, when some are and some aren't, you know, we always tease about the uh, I should I should the surgical personalities and the internal medicine personalities and all that and. There's perhaps a little bit of truth behind that teasing. So evaluate, assess. Yep, yeah. Go ahead. And, I, and I have a question for you that just came in a chat because we're getting low on time here. Um, Robert wanted to know what kind of actions they could use to improve the perception of administrative's responsiveness to the physician's complaints and concerns. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> one of the tough things we're trying to solve a huge problem in 30 minutes here. But I think yeah. the answer is, that perception is reality. And that's an important point. Um, you know, the perception is what it is. And so you have to assess why they have that perception. There's probably a good reason. And usually, and I don't know that's this case, it's because th there's a lack of communication and a lack of trust between the administration and, and the clinical staff, the physicians. So that, that, that trust is harder in some ways than the communication, but they're also linked together. The first thing and you know we talked about executive rounding. It's not just CMOs that need to be out there rounding. The, the high-level executives, CEOs, need to be out there rounding. They also should have their own kitchen cabinet, like I described earlier. But they have to be responsive. And when when docs all sort of have an issue, that's where that feedback comes back. This is what I'm going to do about it, and then you do it, and then you tell them you did it. And, and I've quoted sure you. Know. I've, I have quoted you many times, George, when we have done these physician engagement survey uh, report outs to C-suite. I've said, what are expectations? And I always quote our doctor, our on, on-site expert. And I'll say, expectations from a doctor are that you'll get some kind of feedback at the end of the day from a concern you expressed that morning. Not necessarily an answer, but a check-in to say, I'm still looking into it. So it, setting expectations is one of the things you taught me. Um, that I've shared with a lot of C-suite on that. Um, how do you master that perception? Yes, it's a reality, but then also going back to what's the expectation? Is it realistic? Because I had one CEO yeah. tell me, well, I get I get back to all my docs on Fridays. So someone yeah. who came to you Monday morning thinks that you forgot them. Yeah, that's a great point. Physicians and administrators think in different timeframes. When I order a lab, I want it back the next day. I don't want it back on Friday. Um, so, and, and the, the other thing is the assumption, if you have nothing to tell somebody that you shouldn't say anything, you should get back to folks quickly because docs timeframes are way different than administrators. So you have to be thinking about that. So even if you don't have a lot to say, just to say, Hey, listen, I, I heard you, I'm working on it. I will get back to you Tuesday at three o'clock. Um, just again, being dependable, being predictable, um, yeah. high, you cannot over communicate. And again, Nobody wants to see 30 paragraph emails. My my emails, when I was a CMO, I wouldn't let them send any emails out under my name unless I looked at them to make sure they were short, succinct, and critically important to, to get out. Other emails can come out from medical staff. I don't care who they come out from, but I wanted people to read my emails because they knew they were short, sweet, bulleted, and they were going to be relevant. Um, if you start sending out a lot of nonsense, like the commercial nonsense, then people stop reading it. Yeah, so important. Um, and I'm going to close it with none other than George. This is what he wrote in his book. He wrote a great book on resilience. And uh, 
He said, healthcare is a great noble calling. It's important that we learn from our challenges and create a patient-centered system of health, not healthcare. I want to thank Dr. George Mazel, our coach expert. Thank you for being a part of today. It goes quick. It's 30 minutes. Yeah. Of, it's drinking from the fire hose. But again, we hope that you gain some insights. So thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.